if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for uh, being with us so much on AM 1420. The answer is we get your Thursday started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is the 21st morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2020. And we are loaded up today. We got three great guests that I think you're going to appreciate hearing from for a variety of different reasons coming up. In about a half an hour, 9.35, we're going to go back into the campaign. We have not spent, believe it or not, it's May, it's May 21st of a presidential election year, and we have not spent a ton of time talking about the actual race. Uh, President Trump, the incumbent, Joe Biden, the supposed, probable, expected, but who knows if he can make it there, Democratic nominee. We haven't talked a whole lot about the actual election because of the uh, state of the country with respect to the Chinese virus. You heard me, Kamala Harris, the Chinese coronavirus. That's right. I'll say it again. It is the Chinese coronavirus. It was born there. It was circulated there, it was lied about there, and it was covered up there until it had been spread to the whole of the world. Yes, China owns this. And I'll tell, tell you why I'm addressing Kamala Harris in a bit. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we haven't talked a ton about it, but we will today. Uh, Bob Paduchik is a senior advisor to the Trump campaign, Trump-Pence campaign, and he will join us to talk about the latest developments there as the president continues to try to uh, uh, run the country, working almost tirelessly around the clock, dealing with various issues related to the Chinese coronavirus and still trying to also get a handle on uh, his reelection campaign. So that will be coming up at 935 at 1010. Our friend, Dr. Everett Piper, brings his wisdom and wonderful analysis of the day's news to us. He's got a few different things that are really important to him regarding faith that he wants to talk about at 1010. And then at 1035, George Schindler, second day in a row, we're going to bring on a prominent Cleveland area restaurateur. Yesterday we had Tony George. Today we're going to have George Schindler. George is the owner of uh, hospitality restaurants, including uh, my favorite, which is Blue Point downtown uh, Cleveland. And uh, we're going to talk to him about the reopening today, because that's right. Today is the 21st, and that is the day that Mike DeWine declared, by way of the uh, mumbling lab coat, that the coronavirus won't be affecting uh, insides of restaurants. 
Uh, so it's an amazing thing. We've talked about this at length, and I guess we'll continue to when we talk to George Schindler. But today, restaurants can open for dining indoors uh, as long as ridiculous, made-up, uh, goofy, ineffective social distancing guidelines are uh, followed. And I'll explain why I call all of those things those things in a bit as well. Uh, I want to start real quick, actually, just a, for a moment, with the CDC. Yesterday... The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, came out with a startling, shocking revelation. Uh, that revelation is, uh, it looks like we were wrong all along. CDC, CDC now says that um, the virus living on hard surfaces and on other surfaces that can just be touched and picked up and passed along, eh, not so much. I mean, this is a stunning revelation yesterday. The CDC, which has had people not even taking packages delivered to their homes inside until they are wiped down and the, the boxes are destroyed and killed with fire, uh, and I'm exaggerating only a slight bit with that, don't, don't eat food that you buy at the grocery store unless you wipe everything down once you take it out of your bags, out of the bags and out of the packaging. Uh, wipe it all down because the, the vid... It's going to attack. It's going to leap off of the piece of fruit that you bought uh, into your eyes and into your mouth, into your nose, and then you're going to die a painful death. This is, the, this is essentially the scare tactic that has been used over the course of the last two and a half months. Yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention changed its mind and its guidance on surfaces, now saying that the Chinese coronavirus does not spread easily by touching surfaces or objects. That it is more an airborne situation where somebody basically has to sneeze into your mouth or sneeze or cough into your face um, in order for something like that to happen. Which, of course, as a previous caller said on this program Tuesday, I think, when is the last time anybody coughed in your face? or sneezed in your face to the point where you had wished they had a mask on. It doesn't happen. At any rate, the federal agency's website in March warned uh, it's possible to spread the coronavirus on surfaces and objects. That's why we have to... That's why, why do you think there's been such a run on Lysol spray disinfectant? Why do you think there's been such a run on the antibacterial hand soaps and so on and so forth? Uh, and hand sanitizers. Because if you touch a surface that somebody else who might have had the vid touches well then you're done for uh yeah not so much now they say the cdc notes that uh covid19 the disease caused by the coronavirus is not easily transmitted by humans and animals as well covid19 is a new disease and we are still learning about how it spreads it may be possible for covid19 to spread in other ways but these are not thought to be the main ways the virus spreads which is their way it's about as good as you get from uh, as a of a retraction from the yeah we uh, we screwed up it's it's not gonna it's not gonna jump from some surface onto you and into your body. The website warns people the virus can spread still easily between people who are within six feet of one another through respiratory droplets from sneezing or from talking, but they are backtracking on their um, surface touching spread of the infection. All right, which brings us to this. I want to get into the argument today about why we we have this strange polarizing divide in the United States between those who say open up and those who say oh my god it's too soon we're scared. It re- really is and that is exactly what is going on. Uh it, and it's very polarizing. Dan Crenshaw, this spectacular congressman from Texas, 
uh, wrote a great piece about this for the Wall Street Journal this week. And he nails why everything uh, is, there is such a divide. Now, one would think that politics doesn't have to invade every aspect of our societal lives, right? Politics, I mean, we're talking about health here, right? We're talking about whether or not we should open up the country and open up various states and various uh, avenues of our economy and industry uh, in the in the face of this pandemic. It's a health discussion, right? It's all about health and wellness and safety, as well as the economy. It doesn't have to be political, right? Dan Crenshaw says, baloney. It is 100% political like everything else. Liberals emphasize, says Dan Crenshaw in Texas, uh, from Texas, rather, in the Wall Street Journal, liberals emphasize the dangers of an open society, shaming those who want to go back to work. Conservatives uh, argue the opposite. Red states are steadily opening while blue states are lagging. House Democrats believe it isn't safe for lawmakers to go back to work, while the Republican-controlled Senate is back in session. One explanation advanced is that liberals will do, say, uh, and desire the opposite of whatever President Trump believes, Crenshaw says. And that's true. If President Trump says, let's go back to work, liberals will say, no, stay home. If the president said, everybody lock down and stay in shelter in place for another six months, Democrats would be screaming, we've got to get people back to work. The best you know, uh, example I can give, as I've done many times before, say, is to say this. If President Trump had a press conference and came out in favor of oxygen, Democrats would hold their breath. I'm not breathing oxygen, not as long as that SOB, orange man bad, likes it. I'm not breathing air if he likes air. That's, that's literally how insane the left is. If Trump says he's for it, they are against it. If Trump says that glass is half full, they say it's half empty. If he says it's half empty, they criticize him for being a pessimist. Liberals emphasize this, uh, says uh, uh, Dan Crenshaw. Finally, the far left is treating lockdowns and the consequent economic devastation as an opportunity to restructure America into their socialist utopia dreams. So they're in no rush to really end the lockdowns. But he offers a deeper analysis for why we're seeing such a great divide over reopening. These factors contribute to the partisan divide, he writes, but I believe a completely, uh, I believe a complete account would take us deeper into the realm of psychology and morality. Liberal and conservative brain functions have shown to be different considerably during exercises in risk-taking. These differences led researchers to conclude that socially conservative views are driven, at least in part, by people's need to feel safe and secure. Liberals present themselves as more open to experience and change. Conservatives seem more likely to protect that which we know. This divide appears to apply to multiculturalism, traditional institutions, and financial risk, but not all unknown risks. Today, conservatives are the excuse me. Today, conservatives are the ones ready to confront risk head on. That's consistent with my experience, writes Stan Crenshaw in the military, where the overwhelming majority of special operators identify as conservatives. Recent data confirm my experiences, indicating that high-risk civilian occupations tend to be filled by those who lean right. If conservatives show more brain activity when processing fear, they also seem better at overcoming it. Liberals are also more comfortable with a government that regulates more behavior and provides more services. They often say, you can't be free if you don't have service X, Y, and Z. Such statements sound nonsensical to conservative ears. The conservative emphasis on personal responsibility leaves less room for government micromanagement, 
we're witnessing right now. In the end, Crenshaw says it's time for America to reopen. In a smart and deliberate fashion, the left should not be demonizing the right because they want to get back to work and take the risks associated with doing so. Very well said by Dan Crenshaw. And I, I pretty much concur. The left demonizes everybody who doesn't follow the, the, the orthodoxy right now that if you don't lock yourself in your home in a bubble coming out only to visit what they decide are essential stores and then go right back into hiding again, that we're all going to die. That we're all going to die and that those deaths are the only deaths, by the way, the COVID-19 deaths, the, the deaths associated with poverty and depression, and drug overdoses, and alcoholism, etc., etc., just don't count. So they demonize people on the right for wanting to actually live their risky lives. I've said this before, and I'm so glad to read Crenshaw's piece to you, because this is what I kind of have said for the last few weeks. Somebody even put it on a poster at one of the protest rallies that I attended, and I, was, I appreciated that. She came up to me and said, I got this from you. And what I said was, and I stand by, is that living free and living risk-free are simply incompatible. You cannot do both. You cannot live freely if and live risk-free. To live risk-free would be to stay, hold up again in that bubble, quite literally, never going out and being exposed to germ-filled air, never being exposed to the possibilities of crime, never being exposed to the possibilities of anything that might be negative. That's risk-free living, but it's not freedom, it's imprisonment. Living freely means going out and doing what you want, where you want, when you want, and knowing there are risks involved in that, including the risk of getting infected by a disease. But the left will continue to demonize those who want to live that way. Which, by the way, is how we have always lived in this country's history. Freely. But if you try to argue on behalf of liberty and risk today, you will be torn down. Just like the governor of Florida was torn down when he was told that his state was going to be a disaster area because he wasn't uh, uh, participating in the same level of lockdown and uh, bubbling of his population that other states were. Come to find out, Ron DeSantis was right. And that's why yesterday he made sure to pound that into the ears of every critic that has been coming after him for the way he has run Florida. They praise Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is killing senior citizens in New York at an alarming rate. And they criticize Ron DeSantis, who have, whose policies have not resulted in the number of cases and the number of deaths, the mortality rate that they have in places like New York. This is the divide the country is in right now. I'm going to let you hear Ron DeSantis' remarks after this as we continue this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. As an illustration, if you will, of what uh, Dan Crenshaw wrote about, about how the left demonizes everyone who disagrees with them and dares to challenge the orthodoxy of the only way to deal with this is to lock down the way uh, some of the most stringent and strict states have done. Um, Let's listen to Ron DeSantis. 
Some might call this a victory lap. I don't think it is. Some might call it a tirade. I don't think it is. I think it is a very uh, appropriate response to those who said that Florida was going to suffer an extraordinary uh, number of cases and deaths because Ron DeSantis wasn't doing enough to lock his people down. This is what Ron DeSantis said to an assembled press gathering after he had a burger in a public restaurant, which was open in Florida yesterday with Vice President Mike Pence. Here's uh, Governor DeSantis. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption, so they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, i got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Last question. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida just laying out facts and dumping them over the heads of the media there that have been critical of him. And he's right. The number of cases in Florida, a fraction of the cases that you have seen in many other states, especially those of similar size. The number of deaths in Florida, a small fraction. They've done it right, and they're opening faster than other states as well from the things that they did shut down. But don't tell that to the left that is just looking for ways to continue the political and the ideological divide in this country. Now let's pass uh, uh, move on rather to unemployment. Great article in National Review that I don't have time to read for you right now, uh, headlined, How Long Should We Keep Bribing People Not to Work? And, of course, we're speaking of the massive increase in unemployment compensation. How long should we continue bribing people to not go back to work? Well, the answer, according to Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, Mr. Schultz himself, the answer is forever. Listen to him on MSNBC, Sherrod Brown, essentially arguing that people should not go back to work, making the case that they should stay home and keep collecting unemployment rather than going back to work. This is what Sherrod Brown and the modern Democrat Party believe. What, what do you want to see happen concretely uh, for, for workers as we, as we reopen? Well, I, I think about you're a, you're a worker who's been laid off. You're getting unemployment now, so you're you're not going to get evicted. Your kids are going to be fairly well provided for, not great. You've taken an income hit, but you're home, and you're drawing unemployment benefits at least for four more months. Then you're called back to work, and you're not sure your employer has made your workplace safe. So you're going to give up your unemployment insurance. You're going to go back to work. You have no choice. And you're just not sure it's safe. I was talking to a grocery store worker in Cincinnati who said, said, you know, 
I, I, they, they say I'm essential, but they don't pay me well. They don't protect me at work. I feel like I'm expendable. And that's, that's what workers are facing. If, if for one time... Listen to that for just a second. Sherrod Brown, senator here in the state of Ohio, saying that your employer won't protect you and your employer won't pay you well enough to go back and put yourself in jeopardy and go to, into an unsafe workspace. You should stay home and keep collecting your unemployment for four more months. This man just announced his and his party's intention to keep businesses closed down. If you can't get workers because they're terrified to work, then the businesses stay closed down. And what happens then? The economy gets worse. And then what happens in October and November when it's time for the election? Blame it all on Donald Trump. This man, Mr. Connie Schultz, Senator Sherrod Brown, is human flotsam. He is an he is absolute waste, and this is what they believe in. No one will rebuke or refute his statements, I promise you, because it's what all liberal Democrats feel. It's 9.30 in time for news. We'll talk to Bob Paduchik of the Trump Benz campaign next. now, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Time to talk a little politics. Um, You know, it's kind of an amazing thing. It's As I said in the open, it's May 21st, and we have spent precious little time talking about the re-election campaign of Donald Trump, the actual presidential election cycle. Of course, it's because there's no primaries going on, and uh, we pretty much have our our race already set, but the COVID-19, the Chinese coronavirus, has taken up all of our attention. Let's focus now on the race for the White House and the re-election of President Trump with senior Trump advisor, rather, senior advisor to the Trump-Pence campaign, Bob Paduchek, back on AM 1420, The Answer. Robert, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm doing great. i I got to ask you one personal question, if you don't mind. Um, Of course not. Please. Please tell me that Luigi's is still uh, serving pizza because I'm going to be up in Akron next weekend and it would just (laughs) totally destroy me. If Luigi's wasn't selling pies, <laughs> well, well, the good news is, is virtually all of the pizza places have, have actually, to my understanding, anyway, been thriving because you can't go in and sit down anywhere, so people are ordering their pies and uh, and taking them home, so uh, and or getting them delivered. So yeah, I think you're going to be okay, Bob. I think you'll be fine. Now. Oh, fantastic! Uh, oh, yes, sir. That's a relief. <laughs> all right, so let, let's um, let's dive into this a little bit. Uh, uh, first of all, I asked you the last time you came on how the president was yeah. handling, you know, having to kind of campaign in a very quiet way because he he really just doesn't have the time. I mean, this is a look. I know there are people who hate the president, and I know there are some who are Republicans who even voted for the president who might not like a lot of the things that he does or says. But I don't think there's anybody an R or a D or an I who can say that this man is not working his tail off around the clock, 24-7, meeting with, uh, with, with groups, restaurant groups, farmers, um, uh, 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 members of Congress, uh, doctors, his coronavirus task force team. I mean, literally, I don't know where this guy gets the stamina, but he has spent 24-7 dealing with the coronavirus and its related issues. He doesn't even have time to campaign, does he? Well, you know, he is a machine. It is unbelievable. Uh, people half his age struggle to keep up with the operations tempo that he runs. Uh, it's always been that way. And you sort of, uh, folks that have been involved in the campaign and, you know, I've been working for him for uh, four years now. You, 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 
you just sort of take it for granted uh, that that's how he operates. And uh, uh, look, we're we're able to do so much in terms of uh, uh, the campaign, supporting the campaign and getting things done on his behalf. But like you said, he's doing so many other different things. It's just shocking. I, I think if you juxtapose the fact that the president is running the country, he, he's working day and night to get this economy back on track. He's working day and night to make sure that, that our citizens are safe. And he's also, you know, running for reelection. All of this while Joe Biden is sitting in a basement somewhere in Delaware, uh, you know, putting out these really kind of crazy videos and stuff where it's, it's hard for him to keep track of what day it is. Well, you're right, and and that's the bizarre part about this. Let's talk about Joe Biden for a second here. I mean, uh, and, and in addition to his rambling, incoherent statements, even though he's got prompters in front of him or text in front of him, he still manages to sound like he just doesn't quite have it all there, perhaps the way he used to. Uh, a lot of people feel like he's being very much manipulated by uh, DNC uh, uh, kingmakers, if you will, uh, because he, just, quite frankly, just isn't there. But tell me about this bizarre search for a vice presidential candidate that he has undertaken here. He is he has eliminated half of the Democrats in the in the country by by saying no men. It's going to be a female, and it looks like it's going to have to be a uh, person of color, a female of color, in order to satisfy the identity politics side of the DNC base. Um, what is your read on where he's going with that? And do you think he's made a huge mistake by eliminating a lot of other people who could be very good for him, but just didn't quite have the right number of chromos or right uh, set of chromosomes? Well, it, it, Bob, it, it, it's a combination of pandering and identity politics. Uh, look, the Democrats, they don't have an agenda to campaign on. Their, their ideas of big government, massive spending, uh, government control of things just isn't working out for them. And so what they have to do is they have to try to tap into emotions based on identity politics. You know, their ideas uh, are, are old and stale. They don't offer voters anything. So they're in this trap. We saw it with Hillary Clinton, seeing it now with Joe Biden, where they have to kind of do this sort of checkmark politics where they, they appeal to this special interest group and that special interest group and the other special interest group. And, and it's sad, but it, it, it really is pathetic uh, uh, that they're in that situation. I, I remember when the Democrat Party had some ideas and, and actually stood for something. Now it's just a collection of grievances. Well, that is uh, that is very well said, uh, and their grievances, of course, are uh, they're they're almost always the same, particularly as it comes to the president. Let's talk about you know, everything you just said. You called him a machine working night and day, President Trump, to to you know put together the correct response to this Chinese coronavirus uh, pandemic. They are so critical of the response that Na- Jerry Nadler and uh, members of the uh, House Judiciary are have put together a new task force, uh, not a task force, beg your pardon, rather, uh, but a new committee to investigate President Trump's handling of this. They're actually talking about potential impeachment charges for his mishandling, they say, of the coronavirus. This is, this is what they do. 
Uh, they cannot beat this man if they just go head-to-head on ideas and on his record. So they are literally looking for everything they can. And they also can't run Joe Biden on his record. They can't run Joe Biden on his capabilities, qualifications, or, quite frankly, his current mental faculties. So now they're going to try to uh, to drag the president through another three or four months of, of impeachment investigations over COVID-19. How's the president going to handle that? Well, look, let me just say this, Bob. First, I think it's a little more dastardly than that. I think okay. the Democrats realize they're going to lose this election. So any talks of impeachment are a setup for a second Trump term. I mean, we, we saw this for the last three and a half years that the Democrats have done everything since the day he was elected. Uh, they have done everything to undermine and delegitimize his presidency to the point where we've recently found out that President Obama and his uh his Justice Department and his National Security Council were investigating the president. It, 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 it's just, it's astonishing to me this this approach that they're taking because we used to have a peaceful transfer between two parties, and now it appears that the Democrats' uh, solution to all this is just all-out war. They've attacked this president every single day since. Uh, how does he deal with it? He just keeps doing his job. You know, he comes back, but he also does his job. I want to talk about the way he's being treated in the media, too, Bob. We're talking to Bob Paduchik, who's a senior advisor to the Trump-Pence re-election campaign. Um, CBS ran, uh, or not ran, but posted a tweet. And I'm not sure if they did this on the air the same way or not. But President Trump uh, announced during an interview that he had about one or two more days left on his course, his prescribed course of the hydroxychloroquine treatment that he has been taken under the advice of his doctor. He said the regimen finishes in a day or two. He said this in a meeting with uh, Arkansas's Governor Asa Hutchinson and Kansas, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, right? So he says, yeah, I think I got a day or two left on, on the course that he was prescribed. Here's CBS News' tweet from yesterday. After facing heat over taking the anti-malaria drug, President Trump says he'll stop taking it in a day or two. They, they, I mean, Bob, when he calls the, the media the enemy of the people, when he challenges the media for their ridiculous biased coverage, I mean, he's not even going far enough. You know, I, I mean, they, they, he literally said, yeah, this is when my prescription expires. I've got a day or two left. And they say he's going to stop taking it because he's being criticized for it. He's taking heat for it, so he's going to stop. I just don't understand how this country continues to tolerate uh, this this bias and this incredible uh, uh, agenda against President Trump from every angle. Well, I'm not sure that the people tolerate it. I, I think people understand what's going on here. They see what the media does and what the media says. They see it from CNN, see it from MSNBC, they see it from other the other alphabet folks, and and they realize that. That it's just that, that they're making this stuff up, that that they're not reporting the news, that they're a propaganda machine for the the liberal left, for the Democrat Party, and because of that, I, I think that they have less less credibility now. Last thing I heard, I remember seeing that somebody's talking about a poll that had the the greater greater trust in Congress. And then in uh, the news media in the United States, which is astonishing when you think about that. I mean, they, they're not the arbiter of right and wrong anymore. They're no longer the referee in the game. They've picked a side and they're all in. And, you know, it's sad. 
but people are turning out. People are getting their news from 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 talk radio, from uh, online, from other sources. Uh, there are people out there that, like yourself, that are reporting what's going on and talking about things. And it's been my experience that people uh, that support the president are now as well or more informed than they've ever been. I uh, I want to believe that, and I think uh, a lot of what you just said is true, Bob Paducek. Uh, there are a lot more people listening to shows like this and networks like this, uh, and turning to uh, you know cable outlets like Fox and One American News and some other places. But it's not being reflected in the polls. Um, what is your reaction to some of the latest polls that show Pre- uh, uh, Vice President Biden leading the president in some key battleground states, widening uh, support for him in the Latino communities, the African-American communities, and other places? Um, are you concerned at all? I know we've all saw what happened with polling in the 2016 election, but does it concern you at all um, where where Biden stands right now, despite his lack of any kind of campaign, his mumbling incoherence, his embarrassing uh, search for a VP? He's he's still doing well. Well, all, all these polls are different. Some of them are registered voters. Some of them are adults. Some of them are likely voters. And all of those filters have an impact on what the results are. And then you take the sample size in, you know, we could, this is like an hour long, you know, uh, Ray Bliss Institute at the University of Akron kind of, uh, discussion on the background on polls. But, but let me, let me simplify it here. The Gallup poll, which is consistently looked at the approval rating of incumbent presidents, uh, mm-hmm. for decades now, uh, at this point in time, in May of the election year, uh, President Trump's approval rating in Gallup is 49%. That's two points higher than Barack Obama and three points higher than George W. Bush at their this point in time in their presidency. So we, you do an apples-to-apples comparison on that. And and what we saw in those elections, we saw that, that, that the, you know, Mitt Romney thought he was going to beat Obama. John Kerry thought he was going to beat George W. Bush. And uh, up until the night before the election and on election day, we saw that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I love the approval rating that you just quoted. I talked about it as well this week, and that's fantastic. But, and, you know, the bottom line is he's, his, comp- his approval compared to Obama and Bush before him isn't as relevant as right now his approval compared to Joe Biden. And according to Quinnipiac, you know, for example, it was in April, their April 8th national poll, it was 49-41 Biden. That has expanded to 50-39 Biden in the May poll in the same of the same uh, demographic. So I guess that's my biggest concern. I don't know that people are necessarily tuning out the negative press coverage as much because I think it's letting them affect uh, their opinion of the president and the job that he has done and the job he has tried to continue to do through this crisis? Well, I think a lot of the opinion on the president's baked in. I mean, this president campaigned on certain issues in 2016, issues mm-hmm. that were really well received in, in my hometown of Talmadge in the Akron area and in, in the Mahoning Valley where my parents grew up. And, and it's an America first message. It, it's putting American working families ahead of everyone else. He's consistently campaigned on that. So people know, or he's consistently governed on those campaign promises. So people know what they're getting. There's no confusion about casting a ballot for President Trump. There's still a lot of unanswered questions and confusions about Joe Biden. So 
So I think, you know, in the polling that we have now, there's sort of this honeymoon kind of uh, maybe, you know, I haven't really thought about Biden much at all. Well, they're going to start thinking more about him. And when they start thinking about him, they're going to be looking at us pointing out the campaign, pointing out things about, you know, Joe Biden that uh, voters in America aren't going to really be too happy about. I mean, he's an apologist for the Chinese communist government. He sat there and said, you know, that, that there's nothing to worry about from China. And, you know, I don't think people believe that at all. And I don't know if people remember that as much either. And again, there's the media. If that had been President Trump who had said, no, don't worry about this at all, you know, and, and don't worry about China at all. Uh, everything that he says, if it, if it uh, turns out to be not true, they trump it and scream about it. If Joe Biden says something like that, again, they do their best to bury it. And that's my biggest problem with the media. Uh, Bob Paduchik, last thing before you go, I've got 30 seconds. Um, is there going to be a convention in Charlotte? Yes, there, there will be a convention in Charlotte. There has to be. It's how the Republican Party is organized. So if you don't have the convention, uh, the party shuts down, and that's just not going to happen. Is there going to be a six-foot-between-every-delegate-on-the-floor type of thing going on? (laughs) I I don't know enough about that. I can't tell you what's going to happen with that. I know that we've got, you know, Chairman uh, Chairwoman McDaniel and uh, the team that is dealing with the Republican National Convention is – is top notch. They they're they're great folks. When I was RNC co chair, I got to work with those people early on. Uh, I'm I'm on a different end of the sandbox right now. I have every confidence that they're going to have a great convention for for the American people. Good stuff, uh, Bob Paduchik, uh, senior advisor for the Trump Pence campaign. Bob, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy Luigi's when you get down there. Will do, Bob. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, you got it. Uh, 9.52. Quick time out. Right back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 9.57. That uh, part of the story that I just talked to Bob Paduchik about um, is is really aggravating, isn't it? Um, President Trump, let me clarify everything for you here. President Trump is taking the hydrochloroquine, uh, hydroxychloroquine, rather, uh, anti-malarial drug as a prophylactic in order to stave off uh, a potential infection from COVID-19. This after a couple of staffers in the White House had tested positive for the infection, or for the virus, rather. So he announced that he is taking this, takes immediate criticism. Oh, my God, how are you? How dare you tell people you're taking this? Uh, why are you taking this? It's not safe. Well, my doctor told me it was safe. My doctor told me it was a good idea. By the way, this is a drug. Not to get too far off the into the weeds here, but it's been on the market, and it's been in use generally for about 65 years for things like lupus and malaria and other things. Uh, it's been proven to be safe. Is it proven to be 100% effective in fighting off coronavirus or healing people? No, but there are a whole lot of people who have indeed taken the drug or had it prescribed for them while they had the virus, and they uh, it shortened the length of their sickness, and in some cases, uh, it saved lives. So anyway, he, um, he announced that he was taking this, and, and despite all of the criticism, he said, this is between me and my doctor, and this is what we're doing. So, you know, he becomes the butt of late-night jokes. He becomes, uh, you know, a target of criticism on the, among the media like he always is anyway. And so yesterday, he has a meeting with a couple of governors, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, and this is covered 
by the media. And he says in the actual meeting, quote, I think the regimen finishes in a day or two. Yeah, I think it's two days, two days, he said, talking about how much longer he has on the drug, because that's what the prescription called for. It ends in a couple of days, like every prescription you have. It's not forever, unless it's just a vitamin you're taking, but prescriptions have a beginning and an end date when you're supposed to stop using them, whether it's a two-week course of drugs or longer or whatever. So he announces that it's going to be over in two days. CBS News runs with this headline. Trump's, t- uh, I'm sorry, uh, let me get the actual uh, headline here. Um, after facing heat overtaking the anti-malaria drug, President Trump says he'll stop taking hydroxychloroquine in a day or two. As if they pressured him into not taking it anymore. As if the criticism from the press and others means that he wasn't really truly devoted to his belief that the, the drug would work, and he's letting other people talk him out of it now. That's the message that they're trying to get over here. This kind of headline uh, nonsense in which the devil is in the details that they don't want to give you is just par for the course. President Trump's medication period, the prescription period, ends in a day or two, and they make it sound like he is caving into the heat, so he must not really think that it's smart to take the hydroxychloroquine. President Trump bumbles again. I mean, it's, it's reprehensible what this media continues to do to this man. Now, I'll admit, and I've said it before, sometimes he's not his own best friend. Sometimes he does open his mouth and stick his foot in it. Sometimes he'll say something on Twitter that is counterproductive. But the 99%, 99 99.9% of any negative opinion of Donald Trump comes from a biased media that is literally working in concert on a daily basis with the Democratic National Committee. I dare you to prove me otherwise. Prove otherwise or prove me wrong. Change my mind. Dr. Everett Piper will join us next. 